name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and to my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. It is uh, quite uh, intriguing that uh, St. Matthew begins his narrative of the multiplication of the loaves and the fish by informing his readers about that dramatic death of uh, St. John the Baptist. I'm sure you remember the story very well, recounted by St. Matthew, about the death of John with that story of Herod and his oath, how Salome danced in that rather sensual banquet, and uh, how she went to ask what, uh, what she could ask for from her mother Herodias. And as you know, it all ended up with the beheading of John the Baptist. That, that is the martyrdom there of John the Baptist, and in art, uh, three aspects of, it, of his life are often depicted, uh, his birth, him baptizing Jesus, and his death. So that was the last uh, central moment there of his life, and it was quite a heroic death, and it showed how his faith in Jesus and his fidelity to Jesus went right to the end. But the last line of that account is quite moving. It says, John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. Of course, they had to pick up a, a dead body, but also a headless body, and bury that. You know, the face and the head was gone. And uh, that must have been quite um, agonizing a task. And we can picture the disciples of John now coming to tell Jesus they went and told Jesus, Matthew says. He feels it's important to say that. And uh, maybe they would have been hesitant, or just maybe they just came straight out with it. I don't know if you ever had to announce to somebody the death of a loved one, but it's, it's hard to know how, to, how to exactly to announce something like that. And no doubt, when Jesus heard this, he would have been deeply affected. Just like when we are informed of something tragic, we remember the very words, we remember even the tone, we remember where we were when we heard the, about the death of somebody. Or just the way a person told us. I remember hearing about the death of Don Alvaro, in uh, 1994. I remember hearing about it. I remember where I was. Well, this of course deeply affected the Lord and the Lord came to free us from sin, the very sin that left such a deep mark in our human nature. He wanted to take on that human nature and in fact he took everything on except for sin. He took on all the ultimate consequences of taking on a fallen human nature. 
even though he himself had never sinned. So he was not at all indifferent or unfazed by the situation. You know, you know, we know he was God. There was a unity between his divine nature and his human nature, but that does not mean that he, even if he could see everything and understand everything, he was not indifferent. He was hit by the evil that can enter into the human heart. He knew about the weakness of Herod, who just wanted to please his guests. He knew about the bitterness of Herodias, who was angry at John and just wanted him out of the way because John had been preaching the truth or even knew about the actions or the thoughts of Salome who seemed to be rather oblivious to the evil that she was participating in. See at Herod's banquet we see like pride, we see arrogance, we see the victimization of the righteous, we see the misuse of power, and of course, murder. But now, I mean, that was a banquet, but now at Jesus' banquet, with the multiplication of loaves, we see compassion, we see healing, we see trust, and we see sharing. You know, what a, it's like a, like a complete opposite picture. So after hearing about the death of John the Baptist, the Lord is saddened, he's in, filled with sorrow, and we are told that he decides to withdraw by boat privately. It's as though he wants now to go into a solitary place, away from the upheaval and the noise of the crowds. But we know that the people loved the Lord, they knew that they could be healed, and somebody figured out that he was going there, or there was a leak, you know, there was a leak, and, and uh, they figured out where, that he was going by boat somewhere. Some of the crowds followed him on foot from the other towns. And so when Jesus landed on the other shore, instead of being there alone, instead of having some quiet time, he was faced with a large crowd that was waiting for him. And the gospel says that he had compassion on them and he healed the sick. He wanted to go there to kind of chill and relax. No, he had to keep doing his work. So even if he did want to get away, he still decided to take care of that crowd. There would have been the physical needs there. There would have been serious illness. People with bad backs and uh, scars and illness and some of the people would have very serious illness the maybe cancer or on the point of dying others maybe not so serious there would have been spiritual diseases people you know kind of possessed by demons others maybe mental illness of some kind and of course he cured people but he also taught them many things now, the Lord did not provoke this situation of getting into this uh, situation with all these people. His intention was to go there simply to meditate, to rest. But his priestly soul, his priestly heart did not let go of this opportunity, this unexpected opportunity to care for others.
It wasn't planned, but he was ready to do it. And of course, while this took all day, people had been spending several hours listening to the teachings of the Master, watching him heal. So in the meantime, the disciples were getting a little bit concerned, uptight about this, maybe worried, stressed. They were thinking to themselves, and probably they were kind of whispering to each other, you know, well, what are we going to do when the multitude starts to realize that they don't have time to get home or to get to some place to buy food, to buy provisions? They're going to start getting a little bit uh, less enthusiastic than they are now. And uh, maybe they're going to get angry. Maybe we're going to get hit by a mob, a raging mob that is just going to want food. And uh, we may have to face an irrational crowd like a Twitter mob, you know, so... So one of the disciples came to Jesus kind of kind of discreetly, hoping nobody would hear. We, were right, we read in St. Matthew, As the evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. So this wasn't uh, said in a attitude of uh, kind of disdain for the crowds send them away no they, they say look if we don't send them now look it's getting late uh, they're not going to have time not gonna, so according to our calculations they're not going to have time to get food it's going to be too dark and I mean it just made sense it, it just made sense they were just exercising common sense these people have needs we have to give them the opportunity to satisfy these needs before it gets too late too dark, too cold. So they were thinking kind of in human terms. You know, they were thinking in logistical terms. They said, well, it's going to take them at least an hour and a half to get to the latest, the closest town. So by then it'll be dark. And if they go now, well, maybe they might make it on time. So they're thinking in these logistical human terms, but they had not yet developed that compassion that was so anchored in the heart of Jesus, the compassion for souls. And of course, they certainly didn't expect Jesus' response to their well-meaning intention, well-intended suggestion. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Basically, the Lord was saying, their problem is also your problem. Deal with it. Deal with it yourselves. And um, by saying this, this was a way of eliciting compassion in them. The apostles did not have recourse to Jesus in order to flee from their responsibility. They were just... They were not trying to take away just some difficulty. It was just quite simply a task that overwhelmed them to such a degree that they didn't know what to do. They didn't think they had the wherewithal to do anything. It didn't occur to them as such that this was their problem. Of course they were concerned about these people, but what could they do? Like... This is too much. We don't have that much food. We don't have that much bread. 
We just have a few loaves and a couple of fish. And that's why the word of the Lord would have left them quite disconcerted, even flummoxed. They said, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. And uh, basically they were saying, we don't have the time or money to help. Somebody must have counted the heads. And and that's when our Lord said, bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples and the disciples gave them to the people and they all ate and were satisfied. And disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Of course, the imagery here, sit down, take five loaves, uh, he gave thanks, he broke it. Of course, it's, as St. Matthew recounts it, it has uh, Eucharistic uh, language. You think immediately of the Eucharist. And... Uh, you know, Isaiah also said, he gave that uh, invitation, come to the water to buy grain without money, wine and milk without cost, to come to me and listen that you may have life. Mm-hmm. It's an, an invitation to live our life on earth from the perspective of uh, eternity. And this multiplication of loaves and fish is both a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy and a vision into our future eternal life with God in heaven where we will be totally satiated, totally fulfilled. And the fact that there were 12 basketful of leftovers is a reminder to us that grace is a plenty and that it is always free. But that didn't seem like that when the apostles started to give out the, the bread. It's as though you can imagine they would have been seeing their basketfuls and they were seeing a whole crowd of people and they said, well, we only got a few, but okay, well, we'll do what our Lord says. We'll give it. And even though like they weren't like sparsing out the bread, said, well, sorry, you can only have a little bit. You can only have a little bit. You can only... They just said, well, you get one and you get one. But then... There were more bread. Suddenly, well, this, who knows exactly how it was, but somehow bread appeared there. Right? And they could give, give more. And like It was like an enticement, an invitation to their magnanimity because they weren't like just giving a little bit. They gave a whole bread to each person. It was like an invitation every time to generous magnanimity and confidence in God every time. The idea that, well, I only have a few left, but if I give my best, if I give what I have, God will give me the wherewithal to go for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, this grace is what, the, what our Lord gives us, a grace of new life, the table of plenty for us. Certainly, it evokes that in the Eucharistic table. Mm-hmm. And I think that later on in life, when the disciples 
remembered this scene, that moment in which they began to give out that bread, they would have thought of this when they were beginning the evangelization of the Roman Empire and, uh, and wherever they were. They would have thought, well, we've only got so much time. We've only got so much knowledge. We don't remember everything the Lord said, but we will go for it. We will face these crowds. We will face the Jews. We will face the pagans. Because the Lord will fill our own baskets with what we need. He'll fill our baskets with time. He'll fill our baskets with uh, energy. He'll fill our baskets with uh, knowledge of how to explain things. So, to, to go and approach somebody or just to be talking with somebody and to convince them and you think, well, what am I going to say? How am I going to say it? Well, the Lord fills us with wisdom. He fills us with knowledge. He fills us with the capacity to open horizons for others. Somehow, mysteriously, the apostles experienced the same feeling when they were evangelizing as when they were giving out those loaves and those fish. And of course the apostolate that we have to do is certainly beyond our capabilities. We must not think that apostolate evangelization is somehow just for a certain few people who are uh, you know, experts in this, that have studied this, or are certainly not just for priests. The Lord does not want us to feel paralyzed by lack of means. They only had five breads. They only had two fish. That's it. But this is what they would have to face the challenge. I only have so much time. I only have so much intellectual prowess. But this is what we'll do. And what drives us is this compassion. It's compassion for the people. It's not a sense of, I am totally ready, I know what I'm doing, I'm smart, I can do this. It's a compassion for the people. Imagine a, a person who has maybe very superficial uh, ideas about the meaning of life, the purpose of life, that's all about satisfying one's personal interests. But if we could open those horizons, that would be a way of having compassion. You know, today the church celebrates uh, the feast of St. Cornelius and St. Cyprian. And Cornelius, well they're both martyrs, but Cornelius was uh, a, a pope from the 3rd century. I, I think he was like elected around 250 or something like that. And, uh, and you, know, he, you know, he had many, many challenges and he lived under the emperor Decius. Decius who's a, like totally... Uh, anti-Christian, he had lots of persecutions, especially in Rome, against Christians. And uh, he at one point had to go into exile. But he was hit at a time of great persecution. And one of the debates in the early church was, well, what do we do with those people who have uh, surrendered sacred books to the authorities, to the pagan authorities, to the Romans, or have, uh, you know, uh, renounce their faith in order to be saved right? so that they would be killed and somehow you know offered uh, made offering to the pagan idols or something like that but it's just because they were afraid they were going to get killed 
not all the early Christians were heroic, ready to die for their faith. Maybe they wanted to, but they just didn't have the guts to do it. And so, well, when you give up holy books or when you renounce your faith and you, you say, well, I will, I will worship uh, Venus or Jupiter or some crazy god, and you say, Jesus, I, I renounce him, well, you've, that's apostasy, you know. And, and many of these people were very full of repentance for what they did. They were taken over by fear. So there's a big debate in the church. What do we do? These people are coming back. Some people said, no, too bad, too bad. They, they forsook the faith and they can't come back. They should be excommunicated forever. And others said, no, 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 no. Let's, let's chill, chill, cool it, you know, let's let them back. And Cornelius was one of those who said, we should let them back. They should do penance, they should be forgiven, but they should be let back. He had compassion. It was one of the ways in which compassion was expressed. And one of his friends was St. Cyprian, who, seeing these things, and he was a pagan, and he studied all these things, and he saw how the, how the Christians uh, behaved, and uh, he examined the Christian faith, and, and he converted. He converted. And then, I think two years after he converted, he became a, a priest, and not much time after that, he became a bishop. And he was like good friends with uh, Cornelius, and he wrote a number of treatises that are very important and that we still have today. And one of the things he saw was the debates between the Christians kind of lacked unity. He, he thought it was very important that we should all be very united under the successor of St. Peter. That we should be united in the church as an expression of our compassion for one another. And he's the one who said that famous line, one cannot have God as father if you do not have the church as mother. In other words, the, the church and the fidelity of the church was part and parcel of being a Christian. And these were some of the earliest uh, uh, formulations of the unity of the church and you know, the, just the, the role of the church in the Christian faith. And eventually, he too had to go into exile where he was executed, as was Cornelius. You know, Both were ready to die for their faith. And so, we may think sometimes that the Lord is challenging us beyond our capabilities. But the Lord does not want us paralyzed. He does not want us paralyzed by the lack of means. I mean, the apostles only had five breads, two fish, that's it. They would just have to face the challenge ahead of them. Just leave whatever you have at his feet. Leave it to him to do what you can do. Don't get overwhelmed by what you don't have. By, by that which surpasses our abilities. See, God's modus operandi in this miracle, and indeed in any miracle, requires always human cooperation. Obviously, Jesus knew that he would multiply the food. But Jesus is allow, he allows the initiative in, the, in these disciples. Give them food yourselves. Do something. And... Uh, Therefore, you could say that 
the great miracle is the miracle of the multiplication of, of bread and, and fish, but it's also the miracle of the transformation uh, of the human hearts of the apostles. I mean, they had bread, but all they had to do was bring it to Jesus. And so, let's ask for that um, generosity. And also, I would say, that compassion. That's one of the things you see in this, uh, in this miracle. The compassion that Jesus had, the, that he transmitted to the apostles, who in, indeed helped those people. We have to have compassion. Pope Francis said in 2016, when Jesus, in his compassion and his love, gives us grace, forgives us our sins, embraces us, loves us, he does nothing halfway, but completely. As it happens here, all are satisfied. Jesus fills our heart and our life with his love, with his forgiveness, with his compassion. Thus, Jesus allows his disciples to carry out his command and in this way they know the path to follow. To feed the people and keep them united. That is to be of service, to be at the service of life and communion. So compassion produces miracles. And uh, let's ask the Lord that he transformed my human heart that each one of us our, our heart can be transformed Lord transform my heart so I can have compassion and then change the hearts of others to do apostolate to be a good example to others to be kind and loving so that their hearts may be transformed and that they too may come closer to the Lord Jesus Naturally, we ask this of our Blessed Mother. It'll give us a compassion for souls and to really work in the vineyard of our Lord as His disciples. I thank you, my God, for the resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you all to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father, Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.